Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. We are continuing to discuss the situation surrounding Governor Kathy Hochul's nomination of Judge Hector LaSalle to become the next Chief Judge of New York, the position that sits at the head of the state's highest court, the Court of Appeals, and oversees the state's extensive court system, a position of immense power and influence that has gotten far more attention in recent months in the last year or so than it has in the past, as has the overall role of the Court of Appeals in New York. The state Senate Judiciary Committee last week narrowly voted down Judge LaSalle's to advance to the full Senate, and there is some debate about whether a full Senate vote should be taken. There's a lot of firsts at play here, including the committee rejection of LaSalle and attempt by state Senate Democrats to end his candidacy there and restart the process, as well as the first of LaSalle's nomination to become the state's first Latino chief judge. My guest today to discuss the situation, LaSalle's nomination, the support behind it, opposition to it, and very importantly, the broader themes and historical context at play is Roberto Ramirez. Roberto Ramirez is a founding partner and strategist at the public affairs consultancy, the Maram Group, and a former New York State Assembly member and chair of the Bronx Democratic Party. He and his founding partner at Maram, Luis Miranda, have been among the leaders supportive of LaSalle's nomination, including stressing the importance of Latino representation at the highest levels of New York state government. Roberto Ramirez was a guiding hand behind the mayoral campaigns of Freddie Ferrer, the former Bronx Borough president, who many hope would be the first Latino mayor of New York City. Roberto Ramirez is with me now. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? I am fine. How are you, Ben? I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation about what's happening around this nomination, uh, your perspective on how it has gone and what should come next. And as I said, the the broader themes at play, historical context, um, uh, hopefully uh, uh, there's, there's a lot we can get to here in our time together. So just start um, uh, with, be before we get into all the background and the bigger themes and such, you've been supporting this nomination the state Senate says that he was voted down and the process restarts. Governor Hochul says, no, he should have a full vote of the state Senate. And she's weighing her options, including a lawsuit. As we speak here today on Tuesday, January 24th, what would you like to see happen next? What do you think should happen in the near term here around this nomination? I think what should happen is what has happened in the past. Um, there is a record, there is a history. Um, since 1974, when the constitutional amendment that changed the fact that chief judges were elected and the reason why that was changed was because there was something nefarious about the idea that a chief judge could be subject to the whim of political supporters political bosses. And in 1974, they, it was a constitutional amendment that sought to establish something called merit selection. And it took the chief judge election and put it into a body which required a process of judges and, and representation from the governor and the in this present uh, chief judge and the legislative leaders in a, com a commission that would only and would only recommend people that have met the standards of what a chief judge should be. And that once that happened, there will be a number of names given to the governor and the governor could only choose from those names. And then there will be a confirmation of, based on advice or consent of the Senate. And, and what I'd like to see happen is what has happened 38 times before. 38 candidates were nominated. Uh, by the way, there were 10 Republican governors during that time and 10 Demo uh, 28 uh, Democratic governors. 38 were nominated. 38 were confirmed. I think that I, 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 I presume that just Judge Presiding Justice Hector Lassalle should have had a reasonable expectation that he would be confirmed. And by the way, 
That includes people that now are being uh, touted as the most conservative. Uh, Garcia, mm-hmm. present court appeals judge, who Republican, former head of ICE. Um, of course, De Fiori, former Republican uh, district attorney from Westchester County. Zingas, uh, district attorney from Norfolk County. All of them nominated, confirmed. Mm-hmm. It would have been a reasonable expectation of those of us who were just observers that that would happen here. And something went wrong. And it only went wrong when he was the first woman governor. And it was only went wrong when he was the first Puerto Rican kid from Long Island. So I think that this opens up for us in the state of New York, a certain number of discussions that need to happen. We need to get people to stop talking privately differently than they speak publicly. And I think that one of the silver linings of this, even though it comes as a professional, after having crucified a professional career and a one of the most decent men and legal brains that I have seen, I have never met Lazar, even though it comes at his cost, I think that is part of the contributions that the Latino community makes in order to make sure that the state ends up better when we leave than when we got here. There is a debate that has to take place, and the debate is about marriage selection. The debate is as to where the Latino community stands, having supported so many other people. The debate is as to how we view the judicial branch of an equal branch of government, if and if what they're doing today, the judicial system, the marriage selection, and at the cost of Lasage, if they do that today, should not be concerned that tomorrow or the day that Republicans take over the Senate, that they will exhort the same price that the Democrats are now exhorting on the marriage selection. There's so much to be spoken about, Ben. So let's say a little bit bit more about that last point about merit selection and how you see this this nomination. Um, you come from this not only uh, some of the very brief highlights I mentioned in terms of your political background, but you've also um, you're an, you, you're an attorney. You uh, have done work for uh, the Court of Appeals and, and chief judge uh, judges in the past. Um, you've been of counsel at a law firm. So you have um, you have varied experience that you're speaking of uh, from here. Say say a little bit more about what you think has happened here in terms of this question of merit selection and how seemingly, as you're getting at, the ground has really shifted here. Now, some of the opponents of this nomination of Judge LaSalle have said, yes, we have shifted the ground. It is unfortunate that it is happening to this individual, but we are we are now saying we're taking a different standard than we've taken in the past. We were mistaken in the past to not put more scrutiny on the nominees. And it's unfortunate that this individual is the first you know, person in the in this new approach we're taking, but we're taking a new approach that's actually better for the state of New York. What is your perspective on how that has played out in terms of this nominee's qualifications and how his um, – his background and his judicial rulings have been evaluated here. Yeah, um, first, thank you. Uh, Let me just say, um, and I say this not as a way of bragging, but as a way of setting my credentials. Uh, I got a, I, I applied to law school and got elected in my second year of law school, had to write a paper, and and it was when Sol Wackler sued Mario Cuomo over the issue of the funding to the court system. So I reached out to Saul Wackler and developed what I considered to be a colleague kind of discussions. Uh, I went from there because I sat on the judiciary to Judith Kay and, and had a working relationship with OCA, Office of Court Administration. And then I went and know Jonathan Lippman for 35 years. I wanted to introduce the legislation that will reform the court systems in 1992. Uh, I have been involved, privileged, 
to have been involved in two constitutional efforts. The first one to remove the age requirements of, for judges. That's at 70, they had a leave. And I did that with a group of lawyers and a group of people who felt that we were losing something. Um, and then the second time that I got involved in a constitutional amendment was the idea to reform the court system. And that was during the most recent jurist, um, uh, court of uh, chief judge. So I have literally five <laughs> judges to judge and look at and experience. My work on the constitutional amendments to amend the ref to reform the uh, court system is perhaps one of the things that I have been most passionate about. It has been over 60 years that that is overdue. What happens in the family courts and what happens in the criminal courts, it's nothing short of criminal. And, and, and there has been so many efforts, but never have there been actually bills introduced in the Assembly and the Senate. And we got that done. I, I say all of that to say when people talk today and, and the, the, the Senate and say, hey, things have changed. We got to go in a different direction. And we got to go in a different direction because Obama was denied a confirmation of a judge, Garland, that may have shifted everything in the United States Supreme Court. And the United States Supreme Court ended up elect, uh, nominating people that went before the Senate where there was a litmus test and they said to everybody, oh, no, it's precedent. I am not going to overturn Robbie Ways. And because that happened, now the state of New York needs to be the bulwark of the defense. And that is so true. However, how in the world can you justify that what you have done here is to literally put the world is upside down. The judiciary branch stands by itself. You cannot require the man insist because of a public hearing that the person who's going to be the chief judge has to go beyond statute and beyond common law and beyond that, that somehow if you as a judge are not prepared to do what I believe you should do, that that is in fact the greatest, it's a political crime to argue that somehow you as a legislator have the right to insist that a judge before you do what you want them to do. And I am so concerned that when the Republicans take over the Senate again, they will be done through a different kind of judge. What has happened here, Ben, it is nothing short. <laughs> the best I can call it, it's a legal mugging. That's what they did. They said out from the very beginning, I heard one of your prior guests. And I'd be more than happy to address that. What has been done to Hector LaSalle? It is wrong. It is wrong because that is a man who spent 54 years of age. Can you imagine? How do you go in Long Island from being from the background that he is to have achieved the level of excellence, to have stood as one of the legal mind, bright minds here, and you never had a shot. You never had a chance because there were 145 organizations that came together and determined they had a set of principles. And there were 20 senators that sent a letter to the governor saying, we don't want this. We want that. Mm -hmm. What happens to the rights and the history and the contribution of Hector Lasalle in that kind of context? He never had a chance. They know he never had a chance. And I, as someone who has been a witness to this for 40 years, I, you can remain silent. You can't. Mm -hmm. You would be as guilty as the people who are doing what they're doing if you remain silent at this point. So let me ask you then uh, for a minute as a political strategist, with all the sort of organizing that had been done and some of the letters that had been written and the stances that state senators had taken even before the governor announced the nomination of yes. Judge yes. LaSalle. Was it a mistake for her to then try to pick this battle? Or if she really felt like this was the best person for the job, which she seems to have felt, did she need to do more 
to line up support ahead of time. It seemed, from my perspective, like some degree of political malpractice here in the way that she was saying, I'm going to nominate the person I think is best, despite some of these you know, warnings or attempts to influence my decision. But then without the sort of background work to shore up the labor union support, to keep state senators from declaring their opposition right away, things like that, were there were there dropped balls here in the political process behind this? Because obviously when you're getting into a political process where the state Senate is going to confirm or not a nominee, there's politics at play. Were there were there significant mistakes made that you can tell in terms of that strategy and that uh, effort? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that happens in politics, and now I'm putting my what you call strategist hat on, uh, yes. is that we tend, whenever we don't want to do something, we blame somebody else. Judge mm. um, Governor Hochul, I believe, looked at the list and made a conscientious decision that given who she is and given who Mr. Lasalle was, that that was the right nomination. And I believe that she also had a reasonable expectation that since 38 uh, nominations by 38 men, not men, but 30, yeah, 38 governors uh, had nominated, had been confirmed. I believe that she, having felt that she made the right decision, that she had a reasonable expectation that uh, he would be confirmed. There was no debate um, to speak of on singers. There was no debate to speak up on Garcia. There was no debate to speak up on the Fiori. Why should she have expected those that now wish to say, wait a minute, you didn't do your job. You should really ask yourself, we can lie to everybody, but we shouldn't lie to ourselves. You should really ask yourself, would it have mattered if she had done any of the things that you claim now she didn't do that allows you to kill the professional career of this man? I don't believe so. I think she did the right decision. And I believe that this die had been passed. <laughs> you don't have to believe me. I would ask the, your audience to go back and listen to the podcast of your prior guests. And I would ask your audience, now take a step back and ask, wait a minute, what is it about this that doesn't taste good? You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a, uh, a strategist. You just have to be a human being with decency and reasonableness. And you should ask yourself the question, when somebody says, hey, we're going in a different direction. Ask yourself why, and ask yourself why. And now, if, if the nominee had been a black woman, or a black man, or a Jewish candidate, or a uh, gay candidate, would what happened have been done to them? It is time for us to say publicly what we think privately. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the challenge for those of us who have been silent, and Ben, I don't know if you know, I had a big mouth before I left public office. To say, <laughs> and no one, there was no one in this state that ever questioned what I believed in and where I stood. And for the last 22 years, I have not said a word about anything. I have run a number of campaigns. I have felt the stings of the wrongness of what was going on. And I decided that it wasn't my time to speak. But, but it's impossible to remain silent now. If you hear what the opposition is saying, that's all you got to do is somebody said, when a Republican tells you something, believe them. They're not lying to you. When the opposition tells you something, please scrutinize the words. Ask them. Who and how did they vote in the last since 2016? Ask them when you decided to go and uh, literally destroy the candidacy of Hector Lasalle. Did you ever call him? When you decided as a new member of a legislative judiciary meeting that you had decided that he was not going to get your vote, did any of his testimony give you reason to pause? If, if, if you knew that there was this 
without their force of left progressive who had already decided that even before there was a vacancy, they knew where they wanted to go. Do you think that anyone who wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it in the negative. I'll do it in the positive. I believe that anyone who wasn't who they wanted it was going to get destroyed. And I believe that that's what has happened. And that cannot go unchallenged. Mm. And so is it is it your contention here that um, that Judge Lasai had no opportunity here in this hearing? This was this was really just a sort of mock exercise because so many people had made, you know, announced their opposition ahead of time. Uh, there were members added to the state Senate Judiciary Committee, committee, including one of my recent guests, State Senator Jessica Ramos, who had announced that she was uh, very skeptical of, of Judge Lasalle, and she wound up voting against. Um, for example, is it your contention that that the that there was no way for him to uh, make a change there? Or one thing that I was curious about going into the hearing was when he would be asked about some of the most controversial cases that people wanted to bring up, whether he would express some sort of, uh, you know, uh, different opinion, perhaps regret, about regret. some sort of regret or yeah, some regret. sort of, well, regret or some sort of um, understanding of why people were, were taking a more critical stance on some of those decisions that they were bringing up or this was all this was all more or less theater. Yeah, uh, let me uh, let me answer. The answer is yes, that is my contention. Let me give you the facts that underline that assumption on my part. You're, you're not um, you're not alone in believing that. Yes. OK, um, let me give you the facts. And then I want to talk a little bit about what senators may or may not have said. I think that that's important. Um, yes, I believe that. Uh, from the moment he was announced, his reasonable expectation of being confirmed went on the window. And part of that is what you spoke about. <laughs> you stacked up a committee with people who have said they're not going to vote for him, though some of them have not even met him. You have a political force in the Senate where it's, in, it's just intransigent. It does not matter what he says. I imagine them when he stood in front of that committee, first of all, the same customary rights that are given to every judge to be able to bring um, witnesses, character witness, were denied him. He wasn't afforded that privilege. I, I could write that every. We did not afford the candidate for chief judge, the fundamental due process that we offer anyone who has been charged with a crime in our court system. When they closed that room, by the way, this, everybody mobilized. <laughs> it is the first time in my life, Ben, that I have been in an effort that over 700 Latinos came to that hearing from Western New York, from Long Island, and it wasn't just Latinos. There's something magical that has happened here, and I intend to utilize that as much as I can to have us have a debate that should have been had before Hector Lasalle's professional career was not destroyed. That No one would destroy the 54-year-old man before his professional achievements were ridiculed and were minimized and were distorted. It's just, there is a fact. What happened there, not only because you um, expanded the committee, not only because so many senators have said, I'm not going to vote against him, not only because the people who have come before you and spoken in your um, podcast have said, hey, we have set it all up. Uh, it was either going to be Edwina, or it was going to be Glock, or it was going to be Stanton, or it was going to be Rivera, or it was going to be Wilson. But it wasn't going to be him. Where, how in the world do you set such a standard? You consider yourself a lawyer standing. You, you believe in the sacredness of the judiciary and commit this act. You can't have it both ways. You can, or you can try it, but I'm going to challenge the facts that underpin your assumptions. I want you to challenge mine. I, I have no problem with that, but I'm going to challenge yours because what you have done 
What has happened here is the travesty. And it's a travesty not just because of Hector Lassan and he, him and his family and those of us who believe that this, my God, the presentation this man made was spectacular. Not change a single vote. So I have this image in my mind, right? It is, it is he walks in. He's, he's going to speak, and he's, he's, it's a lifetime of work. He's speaking, and everybody in the panel already turned the volume off. So he's talking, but he's not been heard, because this was never about him presenting his credentials and answering the questions. This deal had been cut. He was going to be destroyed in his pursuit of his chief judge nomination, and I, for one, say that there's 38 reasons why that should not have been done by anyone. And you, um, you, you find it impossible to sort of um, under, uh, uh, you know, agree with or accept the rationale from people like State Senate Deputy Leader Michael Janaris and others who say, "We understand if people take issue with the way things." You know that we're doing things differently from how they've been done in the past, but we're trying to say we didn't do a good job in the past. We didn't do it the right way. Generis, for example, has expressed regret over supporting Judge Singus to the Court of Appeals and people saying we're trying to do it differently because we feel like it's been done poorly in the past and we're bringing a different standard to this. And your contention here is, well, that should not have been for this governor and this nominee who is eminently qualified and should really be given much more of a fair hearing than he got, even if you are trying to update the way that you're doing things. Is that a fair way to say it? No, no. Let me let me let me tell you how I view this. Okay. Um, in 1978, I decided that I was going to be a member of the assembly and gave myself until I was 65 years of age, because I thought that's one business where there is no age limit. I was fortunate enough to get elected in 1990. I ran in 86 against an incumbent loss, ran again in 1990 and won. And I got to tell you, I, I serving in a legislative body is a privilege. It really is an honor. The same faith that I have in the judiciary, I have in that legislative body. Yeah, no one can ever imagine how hard every one of those people who gets elected, how much, how hard they work to get elected, how much they put their family through. <laughs> no family should be through put through what elected officials have to do in order to have their voice. So I believe that every one of those senators is, has a right and a responsibility to state their opinion, their opinion. And, and, I, and I have been so impressed by a new generation of voices, oftentimes was missing in the same community I come from. I, I love the debate on the basis of the law and the basis of the politics. Every one of them from A through Z has a right to their opinion and their convictions and where they stand at. No, I treasure public life and the representative government too much to presume that people who are saying or taking a different position, whether you're for LaSalle, against LaSalle, or in the middle, or you never heard what was going on, I I, I, I depart company from everyone who says, you don't have a right to say that. How could you say that? Not interested. What I'm interested in is challenging the facts that are on the on the, that are on the pine, your conclusions. And then I would beg of you I would ask of you, because I know that each one of you, you treasure the public service that you do. And what I would beg of you, what I would ask of you is examine those facts. We do not have examined those facts from before those 145, which is not many Latino associations there, by the way. I'm the former president of the Puerto Rican Bar Association, very proud to have done. The only thing that I have done public after left. Why didn't you go and Ask how we felt. Why didn't you presume that because he was Puerto Rican, you wouldn't pay a price? 
And then, by the way, there is a line that runs throughout this city's history. It's a line that says that Herman Badillo was not good enough to be mayor, and the progressive community walks away from him. There's a line that walks through Freddie Ferrer when he won the Democratic primary, and he had a reasonable expectation that he would become mayor, and he did it because his opponent used the race card. There is a line that to Hector Lasalle that had a reasonable expectation that he would be confirmed. And they did hurt to Lasalle what they did to Herman and what they did to Freddie. We are going to have a debate in the state if I'm the last person speaking in this room. And all I would ask of every one of those elected officials whose I have become so, no, I'm not impressed because it's the courage of the convictions that impresses me. I want to make sure that this never, ever, ever, ever happens. Whether you are Ruth Messenger when you run against Rudy Giuliani and every liberal in Manhattan walked away from you, and the only county that beat Rudy Giuliani was the Bronx and beat him by 50,000 votes, hmm. whether you were worried when the homeless people were put in Manhattan because they was affecting your family, there's got to be a discussion and it's got to be a public discussion and it has to be about defund the police and it has to be about what I call a, re, a removal plan that has been put in place on the gentrified communities, whether it's about the law, whether it's about the court system, or whether it's about what, what are we as a people of laws and faith in the legislature. That's the debate I'm interested in. And I want to have that debate. And I want to hear the voices that I'm hearing. Because I got to tell you, Ben, I'm an old timer. <laughs> I've been longer out of public life than I was in, in public life. And I am so impressed. And so the, the word that I can only use is... is, is excited about the debate that this is uh, promoting. But so it, will not be, it will not be behind closed doors and it will not be done in privately. This is going to be done publicly. So, so, so you're getting at a couple of things I want to ask you a little bit more about. One is, it seems to me, I understand your point about reasonable expectation. The governor had, a, you know, you believe a reasonable expectation that her nominee would be confirmed. Uh, Judge Lasaye had a reasonable expectation that he would be confirmed based on precedent. Yeah. At the same time, there were yeah. also uh, many people publicly saying that we want to take a new approach here and we want to see the court go in a different, you know, more progressive direction. And there were people saying we're going to vet this, whoever the nominee is, very differently than has been done in the past. So there's those those sort of countervailing forces. But I understand your point about reasonable expectation. So that there seems to be some of that. and And still, to me, questions about how the governor and and others did or did not work to line up support for this nominee before she announced him or right in the immediate aftermath. And the whole conversation in opposition to this nominee got going so quickly after she announced him that the, the evident lack of work to build the coalition behind him was very glaring very quickly. For example, the AFL-CIO put out a statement the same day the governor announced the nomination of Judge Lasaye, saying that the, they were very concerned about his record. Uh, that's just one example of, a, of a, obviously a very powerful labor union quickly coming out with a, with a statement well before there was going to be a hearing. And, and, and as far as I and I think others are concerned, raising questions about the work the governor and her team did to reach out to important stakeholders to secure support or at least secure initial patience. So I think yeah. there's that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it wasn't just labor. Abortion groups mm -hmm. um, express their concern. Um, and a lot of other already agreed and arranged institutions uh, were, were, you know, there was, was, was a trigger. We're starting here, you do that, you do that, you do that. Um, I'm, I'm sure that Silento, who has the FLCIO, was expressing the full weight of the organized labor in New York State. 
I've been around a while. I, I, I always had a great working relationship, but the fact of the matter is, even the most, even members of the FLCIO has expressed concern. I'm sure that you saw the statement by PEF, Public Employee Federation, uh, asking for a fair hearing and for a floor vote. I'm sure that you saw the statement by the international president of the Transit Workers Union, uh, who said there ought to be a floor vote. So I don't think that labor is monolithic. I don't no, think No, 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 not at all, not at all. But just to the point that there were significant uh, stakeholders, yeah. players on the field, so to speak, that were yeah. obviously not yeah. lined up in a way that could have been more conducive to this nomination being successful. Again, I take your point about reasonable yeah. expectations, um, but but you know, I think there's 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 a lot of room here but, but, for and, and, yeah. And Ben, what you're saying is this is not done well. That's what you're saying to me. Hey, uh, this could have been done better. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, basically. I mean, I don't know. And, and my answer to you, Ben, my answer to you is, doesn't matter how it would have been done. The die have been cast. Okay. Your prior uh, guest told you that. He told you exactly what was done, when it began, who was the parties involved. And and, and, and I want to sort of raise a little bit of an issue that I think underpins all of this. That, is that okay? Yeah, sure. And I just want to make clear for people listening, I, I believe you're referring to Peter F. Martin, who is one of the leaders of the coalition uh, seeking a progressive yeah. chief judge who, uh, you know, they were doing organizing work for uh, a while as soon as uh, Chief Judge Janet Fiore announced yeah. that she'd be retiring early. And that was a prior conversation yeah. as well as the prior conversation with State Senator Ramos. So there have been uh, if, if folks have missed it, there have been a couple recent discussions on this show about uh, this situation. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and it may have that may have been his name. I'm not interested in his name. I'm interested in his words. I'm interested in the work that he did. Um, part of the problem here is something that worries me perhaps more than what has been done to LaSalle, which is the same thing that if it had been done to Sonia Sotomayor, she would not be a judge in the federal court. And that is this notion, this idea, this underpinning that if you have been a prosecutor, you cannot be a judge and you certainly cannot be a judge at the highest court. That, that, that's that's sort of the underpinning of all of this, isn't it, Ben? That, that's one major piece of this is that many people who um, we're, we're watching this nomination, trying to influence the nomination. Again, even before the selection of Judge Lasaye, we're saying we don't, you know, we don't want to see a prosecutor. We right. We don't want to. We don't want another yes, prosecutor. Absolutely. Forget about all the ones that can be. We don't want another prosecutor. And, and and I think we need to have this public discussion. When people think of prosecutors, I think they think of white prosecutors. When people speak of prosecutors, I think that they view those. The prosecutors are people who are helping in putting people in jail. That the mass incarceration that we have in this city, in this state, where 40,000 people are in jail, and there's 340,000 people who have gone through that experience. And by the way, three, four of three fourth of them are Latinos or black, that because prosecutors are the problem, therefore you cannot be a prosecutor. Uh, and come before us um, later and say, give us your support. And and one of the things that I'm most worried about is that that views prosecutors in a way that I don't. It doesn't mean that there hasn't been failures on the part of prosecutors. But what comes to mind for me is this young man named Thompson, Kenny Thompson. And, and I was fortunate enough to have gone to law school during the same time. He was the first black man elected the district attorney of Brooklyn. And he spent the first part of his short life fixing what his former prosecutor Hines had done when he came to netting out justice. Wrongful conviction is one of the greatest sins on the history of this 
state, but he took a black man by the name of Ken Thompson to stand up and do his job. And his short life when he died, he gave birth to a man by the name of Eric Gonzalez, who his work on wrongful conviction has become the gold standard for this country. Think about what that Senate is saying. If you are a black, or you're a Latino and you're in law school, you cannot become a prosecutor. But I view the people who become prosecutors differently. I think that there are those of us who would go as become an ADH, assistant district attorneys or district attorneys, because we wanna make sure that the people that come before them, most of which look like me, most of which speak like me, I wanna make sure that justice is netted out. So you, Senate, you, United States, you need to have this discussion different because you're telling the, you're telling those students in colleges throughout law school throughout this state that being a prosecutor is a dirty word. It's not. It is the way that people have decided to look at that position. Law enforcement, police officers, that is not harmful profession. Actually, for those of us who come from where I come from, that is one of the greatest achievements. And it is time that we spoke about it. And it is time that we challenge those that say that if you're a prosecutor, you cannot be a judge. It is wrong. And it, it, is, it, is, it is the worst thing that you can do. The judicial system that you claim that you stand on your platform and you say you need to correct you need to correct it. Get more Latino and Black law school students going to the district attorney's office and, and, and applaud them. Don't chastise them. If you really are really serious, if you really, truly want to address these issues, please, I beg of you, take another look at your facts mm. and don't be concerned about changing your mind. There is nothing wrong with it would be unjust and inhuman is for you to continue to know that your facts do not validate your conclusions and you still continue to do it. Uh, certainly an interesting point and, and worth further discussion. As you mentioned, this is something that um, where, uh, Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez, who you mentioned, was supportive of <laughs> Judge, Judge Lasaye's nomination. Some of what you're you're getting at in this conversation was, was actually discussed a little bit in the um, – in the Manhattan district attorney race, as I'm sure you know, where yes. Alvin yep. Bragg yep. was yep. elected, there was conversations yep. around, um, you know, people pe people on the left even, you know, yep. questioning Bragg's candidacy because he also had a background as a prosecutor um, and and how quickly- uh, yeah, Think was, about it. Vilified <laughs> ben, on the right. Ben, think about it. If we follow the dicta, Tony Sotomayor would not be in the Supreme Court today. Yeah. What has transpired? I'm sorry. By the way, Ben, you should know. I told you that I have been in private life for 22 years and that I have not spoken much. <laughs> you should know that what you're hearing is 22 years of silence. Perfect. Well, we're happy happy to host host this time for you to to get get plenty of things off your mind and your chest here. Let me let me and ask I, you. And I know that sometimes my voice gets elevated. It is not. And people sometimes say to me, "Roberto, you you um, you are angry." I'm not. I, I always tell them, and I, I believe what I believe strongly, and 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 I want to encourage more people to disagree with me. I want them to challenge me, and I want more people to challenge other people. I want the Latino community to rise up, to use Lasalle's, of what happened to him, as, a, as the foundation for us finding our voice and not ever allowing anybody to do what was done to Lasalle. So um, we, we, we call it passion here and we appreciate, we appreciate your passion. I, I don't take it as, as anger at all. And, uh, as I mentioned, uh, recently on the show, state Senator Jessica Ramos, she's not shy either. And she, she, she gets, uh, gets passionate as well. And, and people can Absolutely. hear the passion in her voice when she did. So, so let me ask you about, uh, state Senator Ramos again, for example, but sure. we, we publish, uh, columns by Eli Valentin, uh, mm -hmm. who writes about uh, Latinos and politics and, and in New York, especially for us at Gotham Gazette. And one of the points he uh, made in a recent column at Gotham Gazette around the Lasalle nomination was about the this point you just made about 
a conversation among Latinos and not letting this happen again. And it's about generational and ideological divides among Latino elected officials within Latino communities. Again, this is not a monolithic community, obviously, um, but the this this we saw it on full display at the state Senate Judiciary Committee, where you had mm-hmm. State Senator Sepulveda very strongly supportive of Judge Lasalle and State Senator Ramos, who had a lot of questions, who gave him you know credit for his service, but also had a lot of skepticism about some of his uh, rulings and wound up voting against him. Do you see it that way? Do you see it as a generational and ideological divide right now? How do you see that conversation among Latino leaders, among among Latinos in the, in the city and state about where the divide lines are and what needs to happen for, as you just said, this not to happen again? Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely do not see it. And, and I may be biased because I'm old, so maybe I don't see it as a generational um, debate because I don't want it to be because, wait a minute, does that mean that, uh, you know, whoever I am and whatever I am, I miss my shot? No. I, I spent a great deal of time talking to the Wall Street Journal about this. When Latinos for ourselves, we created an organic effort, and then there was something else called Latinx, and they think they want to say, is this really you, um, generational? No, I see you got to cite UN samples. In the mayoralty campaign for mayor, there were a number of black elect, uh, uh, candidates. No one said, hey, is this a generational issue? When, when, the concern that I have about such things, you take both senators that you mentioned, both very powerful voices, voices that oftentimes have been missing in the community that we come from, both entitled to their opinion, both prepared to argue their case. That has nothing to do with jurisdictional issue. It has nothing with generational issues. For me, it's not an issue of generational uh, generations as much as it is an issue of how we arrive at the positions that we hold, not because of our age, but because of a number of things, including experience, including when we were born, including when we got here, many multiple things. So, so I don't think that that is the case. But if it were to be, uh, then it's a discussion to be had among those different groups. It's that That's where it belongs. Yeah, I mean, again, it seems, you know, it seems and I think uh, Eli Valentin was saying this, and I think it seems it seems true that to some extent, um, maybe it's not even generational. It's just it's just ideological that there's some uh, elected officials, state senators, Ramos, Gustavo Rivera, uh, Julia Salazar, others who were putting their ideological uh, lens ahead of the, you know, uh, Latino unity that you're speaking of. And even Senator Ramos was saying to me, I I didn't see it as Latino at any cost. And at the same time, there's Jenny Rivera on the Court of Appeals, Justice Rivera, who we would love to see nominated, but wasn't nominated. Didn't even, Governor Hochul didn't even have the chance to choose her. And she's a more progressive Latino justice on the Court of Appeals. Um, so, so I don't know. Do you, I mean, there, there's other people have, who have brought up, um, you know, ethnicity, country of origin among different elected officials within the larger Latino community. How are do you see certain divides that need to be discussed more? That the Latino unity that I am arguing for seeking is not what I'm doing at all. I do believe that there is a process and a discussion uh, has to be had on the Latino side. But for me, this is not about Latino unity, because what is most important here is that the ideological views that are represented in the people that get elected on districts that are majority Latino is as important as the unity. There is a shift, there is a reality that that we need to be able to question ideology, but that doesn't only hold true for if you're a moderate Democrat, that also holds true if you're a left progressive. So that that piece, that's the second one. Um, This this one, the best way I can describe it is what would be called identity politics, right? Mm -hmm. That somehow you will 
support somebody over somebody else because they come from the same tribe that you come. Um, those that have my history know that I took on a, a sitting senator and a sitting assembly member. Both of them were Puerto Rican. That I stopped the candidacy of a Puerto Rican for speaker and supported Gifford Miller. <laughs> that 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 there is there's a difference between right and wrong. But it's also important uh, that we call people to task. It cannot be identity politics when you believe as the first future speaker of the New York uh, of the Congress, the first son of slaves to have become the most powerful man in the country when he came at a press conference and said, made all the arguments for uh, Lasalle. And then at the end, and I will always forever be grateful to uh, minority leaders, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, and he said, and that his Latino matters. That there, there is a difference between supporting somebody over somebody else who's qualified and standing up and supporting those that come from you, even at the risk of being ridiculed even at the risk of being chastised, or even at the risk of being canceled. It's not identity politics if you're Greek. It's not identity politics if you're something else, but it's identity politics if the candidate for mayor is Fernando Ferrer. It's identity politics if the candidate for chief judge is Lasalle. The, the fact of the matter is, um, I remember when the first Jewish candidate got nominated to be vice president of the country. This is a senator. It was an independent senator. And I was asked a question. I think I was in office then. And I said, this has such importance because his nomination today makes possible a Rivera nomination tomorrow. We got to take pride on the achievement of an Obama and a Michelle Obama. <laughs> we got to take pride in the fact uh, that there have been a Tish James, first black woman ever, to have gotten elected. And he took a white woman who was a former first lady, first lady to be able to elect, get elected to statewide office. There is got to be something that gets said that, yes, provided for me that the person that you are supporting is the best qualified candidate and Hector Lasalle is the best qualified candidate for be chief judge. Not because I'm saying it, not because the uh, New York State Lawyers Association says it, or because the New York State Bar Association says it, or because the New York City Bar Association says it, or because Chief Judge Lehman says it. There are facts that are incontrovertible. And, and this is one of them. And what has been done to him, worse than I believe that this will be debated and talked about 30 years from. I told my son that, that when he walked, went with me up to Albany and we drove and we brought some kids, I wanted the kids to see what history looks like. I wanted them to know what that man looks like. Hector Lasalle is our prince. And what you have done to him is unforgivable. And I don't know how much time we're going to have to debate this, but I promise you, if you ever come to me, ask me for my vote, I'm going to ask you, where were you with Lasalle? And I don't care whether you were one of the people that I have supported or not. Hector Lasalle. My father, my mother, my sister, my my grand, I got 10 grandchildren. What you did with him, you did to me. You did to Fernando. You did to Carol Robles. You did to Dennis Rivera. But you don't see me. All you see is a Puerto Rican with an accent. I pay my dues to get here. No one elected me chairman of the party. No one made me Democratic uh, chairman of the Democratic National Campaign. No one. No one helped me define who I was. I'm not going to let you define me now. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say that Hector A. Lasalle deserved better. And that this is no longer about him. This is about what you're doing 
to our third branch of government. This is what you're doing to the Merrick's election. This is what you're doing. You decided that one of the people that I named before because it was named by your guest, uh, that was going to be the one. And by the way, don't come back and ask me, hey, how about if I nominate a different Puerto Rican? <laughs> how about if I have heard this? How about if somebody else who's more palatable gets nominated? I don't know whether you can. And by the way, what has done to Jennifer Rivera is unforgivable. What has been done to Wilson is unforgivable. But two wrongs do not make a right. Do not dare come back and say, what about if I give you another one? Would that be sufficient? See, that would be identity politics. I don't want another one. I want Hector Lasalle because he earned it. Because that's one of the most brilliant minds that this state has. I want him because he had a reasonable expectation that he would be confirmed. And what you have done, not only to him, the people that I come from. And by the way, anyone can disagree with me. I welcome disagreements. I want to have the debate. But what you have done to the judicial system in this state is going to be debated when I am long gone and when you're long gone. And you need to reevaluate. You need to ask yourself the question, is what I'm saying today wrong? And debate my facts. If not, please change your mind. Mm-hmm. Well, you you got it where I was going next in our final uh, couple of moments here, uh, because I was going to ask how, how you think this can be resolved, how you think there could be more unity moving forward is it restarting the process and having someone like a Jenny Rivera nominated this time to for the governor to choose from on the list? As you said, you know, getting at getting at the point I was also making was that longest serving justice on the New York Court of Appeals was passed over for being acting yes. chief judge and then was also passed over on the list of nominees. A lot of people scratching their heads about that one as well and really raising questions around um, around that process. So I think there's, a, there, as you said, there's a lot, a lot of angles to this discussion to continue to explore. Uh-huh. But in your in what you just said, you know, from your perspective, the only real way forward is for this is for Judge Lasaye to to continue with the process and to be confirmed as far as you're concerned. That's the only way for real resolution here that you feel like would be the just outcome. You you said very well. The the fear and just outcome is Mm -hmm. for Hector Lasalle to be confirmed. However, I believe that this has taken a life of its own. Um, Unity, you ask. Unity is important. Clarity is more important. A sense of a moral center is more important. Being able to argue with those that are similar to you from your own community and be able to argue inherently intelligent, that's as important, more important than unity. It's also more important than unity that we remember the following. 22 years ago, I stood up up the political um, bench. In 22 years, a lot of stuff has happened. But we have to ask the question, there is no Latino mayor. There is no Latino public advocate. There is no Latino speaker of the city council. And there were two highly qualified Puerto Rican women who could have done it. There is no Latino majority leader. There's no Latino speaker. There is no Latino governor. There's no Latino lieutenant governor, and I know that there's some background there. There is no Latino United States Senator. There's no Latino in one of the two houses. That's a problem. That's a real problem here. And we need to have that discussion as well. We as Latinos have been silent too far. Our votes are good, but our political interests may not be. So that discussion, the discussion that you call unity, a discussion among an emerging strong voice of Latinos who have never been in office, whether people disagree or not, that conversation has to be had. And the discussion as to what it is that our judicial system is and where it's going also has to be had. All of that. If we do all of that, then there will be unity. Mm-hmm. Unity interests me less and decency. 
and the righteousness of people to speak their convictions without having fear that some political force in the state is going to give you a primary. I, I, that's real. People fearful because they're going to get a primary. I, I'm sorry. I am the wrong person to speak about that because I give up my office willingly. Mm-hmm. But, hey, you never know. I'm coming home. So who <laughs> knows what the future holds? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's that's a good note to leave on. We we I, I think there's a lot more we could get into, but I've I've taken a lot of your time here, and I appreciate your time uh, and your thoughts I, on I, this. And thank you for your patience, Ben. I, it has it has been a long time coming, so I appreciate. No, and that's why I'm very happy to speak with you. Absolutely, yes, no, and I'm very happy to have had a chance to speak with you, and I appreciate you joining me. Really, my pleasure. And if you if you remember this, I'm available. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I think I I'm noting that, and I think uh, many others are now that they've they've so. heard you your passion on this subject and your expertise, and of course your background. Uh, Roberto Ramirez, very much appreciate the time. Be well, and we will uh, we are we are speaking here on January twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. We don't know where this is heading next, so we'll uh, check in with you as the next uh, steps unfold here. Thank you, Ben. Thank you.